0: Hello, welcome to the second episode of The Digital Wake with Max Tatton-Brown and Danny Wame. Uh, this week, after a little bit of a hiatus, <laughs> we're going to be talking about a little bit about Twitter. Do photos really improve the performance of your social media status updates? Research says no. And then Tom Foremsky, to be continued. So, first up, TweetDeck teams, Danny, what do you think? What's the point? That, that is for me the
1: kind of main question. From what I can see TweetDeck Teams is essentially a way to give other people access to your Twitter account, but probably realistically it's going to be a company's Twitter account without you giving them your password. If anyone's used
0: TweetSuite it's exactly the same as that. So I think maybe two things here. One, if you are a big brand working with an agency you don't really wanna be giving them your login and your password anymore because the amount of times a social media manager has gone rogue now and hijacked the account, I would imagine there might be pressure from agencies to say we'd use TweetDeck more if we could persuade clients to give us the login details or from brands to say, well, we'd be more likely to use TweetDeck to collaborate with our, our partners on these kinds of projects if we could let them log in without giving them the kind of things that actually break stuff like ISO compliance now as well. Maybe the bigger the bigger question around all of this, I think, from a Twitter point of view, is
1: really trying to understand what their strategy is. You know, you feel as though Facebook seems to have quite a clear direction in where they want to go. But Twitter just still doesn't seem to have that, that clarity.
0: And the digits... And all this application specific stuff that yeah. they're going after and Crashlytics or whoever they've partnered with. Where do you think TweetDeck sits in that big picture then? How important is TweetDeck strategically to Twitter? Uh, you know, they're obviously never going to be able to kill TweetDeck
1: off. That's just not something that I don't think they would ever do. So then I guess it's well, what do you do with it? And do you just continue to kind of keep it ticking along, which is essentially what they've been doing? Or do you look to turn it into something? that could really start to add value to
0: the business. Imagine TweetDeck version 2.0 that includes all the kind of analytics stuff that you yeah. want to run a business yeah. Twitter account without having to go to twitter.com. I mean, it's a power user tool, that's essentially what TweetDeck is. Okay, much more interesting, I think, was the acquisition of Niche. So you have worked with Niche, so do you want to introduce them? Niche is essentially a, think
1: of it a little bit like an agent, but for social social creators, essentially. And when we talk about social creators, it's really around more kind of visual mediums. So it's very focused on Instagram and Vine. So, you know, if you're a brand and you're potentially interested in working with somebody that has influence across some of these channels, then you can go to Niche and they will be able to pair you up with creators that they have on their books.
0: Do you think it's a defensive play to make sure... Talent that's currently creating things for like Vine and Twitter Video, you know, both videos obviously on Twitter now, doesn't end up just transitioning to another network like Instagram. We all know that
1: vloggers have absolutely gone mainstream and are insanely big. You know, the reach of those guys is quite incredible. And so if you look at somebody like Zoella and the importance that she has for YouTube, it's absolutely crucial. And YouTube will be bending over backwards to make sure that Zoella stays on YouTube. However, you look at the likes of Facebook, where they're really trying to push video, actually capturing somebody like Zoella and getting her to create content for them rather than YouTube is obviously, that's going to be a massive battle there. And I think that's one that we haven't really seen yet, but I think it's coming. Twitter... As you can see with the niche um, deal, potentially they are just anticipating some of that coming down the, down the line. I think everyone sees TV's dying, traditional media is dying. That content all has to live somewhere. That content has got massive value attached to it. And I think the likes of Facebook and Twitter and Netflix and Amazon are all looking at that going, that's a business that we probably want to be a part
0: of. So this is in some ways the full circle completion of the transition of, of power and authority from channels or networks or companies to individuals. In that, originally you had TV channels and whoever they put on as the news anchor becomes the, in, you know, the individual of recognition. Whereas on social networks, because they're funda- fundamentally user-generated, user-created channels, start from the other side. So that person yeah. builds an audience and the channel needs their power. Yeah, And this is probably the most, it feels like the most satisfying like complete end of that, chapter in some ways. Okay, so what about a slight counterpoint to this? So Snapchat Discover. And this is the new feature in Snapchat where you shimmy across a couple of tabs or whatever, and you have these strange cascading content experiences where you're on the Daily Mail Discover channel, you scroll down, and a story basically just starts. And then you can flip to the next one, Tinder for content, how does that fit in around this niche stuff? Too? Well, I think it's very similar. It's, it's Snapchat as a, as a media publisher. But it's making the publisher an individual, isn't it? Like, it's creating a very individualised experience of the publisher, especially something like Snapchat, which is yeah. arguably one of the most... And that's the criticism,
1: isn't it? That actually,
0: if you go on Snapchat, is Sky News what you're going to be wanting to consume? And if you are going to be wanting to consume it, what sort of content from Sky News... It's interesting how many indirect venues there are now for what might somewhere tie back to PR type activity and communications activity, because something like um, Snapchat Discover, something like the Economist Espresso app, it feels like the end results of publishers are getting further and further away from something you can directly influence in the way PR used to in the old days. Well, I think there are two things. So either potentially
1: there would be an opportunity for you to partner with, sky or the daily mail to offer something through their snapchat discover channel but then i guess as a brand or an organization there's an opportunity for you to actually have your own snapchat discover channel there's just the opportunity for organizations to totally bypass the kind
0: of editorial piece altogether and go straight to consumer if you're a big consumer focused company though yeah because thinking about most of the companies I work with, yeah, who might be doing something a bit different, PR has always had a pretty good history of saying, if you do something genuinely neat, neat and new, you can use PR to, re- to get to the right people who will understand why it's better and different, and get you then to the rest of the audience. Yeah, And a lot of this stuff just doesn't really relate it's in there. Play. And the closest you get is, is, I suppose, relying on your audience itself. Speaking on your behalf and becoming advocates, which is is to me the biggest virtue of, of all the B2B stuff in the modern time, right? Yep. B2B and social and communities and advocates and all that stuff just goes so hand in hand for this level. And I think because you're not going to be able to buy your way into the, the big game of, of Discover, which is probably always true, like TV advertising or whatever, yeah. it probably will always have a place. The work you're doing in increasing or improving the understanding of people with influence is even more divorced from any final you know bit of coverage or whatever you might call it that comes from that so i went to this event called soma salon and the idea of that started by mike butcher from techcrunch is you get together a bunch of people who understand technology from different disciplines and everyone talks about the big problems facing society at the moment so that they might actually have a voice Mm -hmm. on the stage of democracy and at Soma Salon, in our group, we were talking about the future of media and where publishing goes. And one thing that interested me, one thing we got around to was the idea of in the old days, when broadcasting was new, they set up a state-run broadcaster, the BBC, yeah. Yeah. on TV, on radio, first, obviously, to get the word out there, because that was an important function of democracy, so it had to be done. Yeah. Today, if you fast forward, if you were to set something up, Maybe you would set up something more like a you know gov.uk run algorithm for surfacing news that was important to citizens for democracy. Yeah. Do we need something like that again? Because Facebook could decide and oh, forget the sun, it's the sun that won it. Like Facebook could easily make a joke of the sun if they wanted to, if it wouldn't be so obvious. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean I think the democratization of content, or the opposite of that, is a very interesting area and I think it's one that a lot of people I think are really worried about. In their desperation they're running to a kind of BuzzFeed article link baity approach slash looking at taking money from big advertisers so that and then giving them preferential editorial treatment. That's a really scary place potentially because then you think well do
0: we actually have free media because well, no, we don't
1: really, because they're all just being driven by everything
0: else. And this is another thing that came up there's an incentives issue with the media. There is very little incentive to create great journalism, and there are very few organisations that are directly motivated by that incentive and that incentive alone. Mm. If any publishing or media organisation really wanted to grow and thrive, it's not easy, but you know what way you should be going. Mm. And it's, it's BuzzFeed, it's native advertising, it's like all the things that everyone is concerned about seeping into journalism. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I ended up at this stage about the BBC idea. Yeah. Maybe it's something yeah. that's come up again and again, and maybe actually around the world. We take for granted how good we've had journalism for such a long time now. Posting a photo is the worst way to get people to see your Facebook posts. Basically it's video first,
1: followed by status updates, closely followed by link posts, and then photo image posts coming in last place. Which is kind of interesting because everyone, there was a point where everyone basically rushed towards images because it was like, basically if you don't post an image, no one's gonna read your content, blah, blah, blah. blah. Must do images. And then video gradually over last year has now again been something that Facebook is continually pushing. And for me, I think the um, ice bucket challenge was a massive part of this. Facebook knows that YouTube is obviously being incredibly successful. It knows that TV advertising is, you know, becoming less and less um, effective. It sees an opportunity there for video and to monetize video, and so I, for me it's kind of obvious that Facebook would would try and push people to do more of that.
0: But The uh, photo thing I think is interesting because photos are very easy to make to take up a bunch more of the stream, so it was a no-brainer. Yeah. They were really rewarding people for very little effort, and then once everyone cottoned on to that, obviously they became more competitive. So if everyone yeah. is putting photo posts in, then you're gonna have to fight harder to get into the stream. So I imagine they've just tweaked the algorithm against that and it makes perfect sense to tweak it towards to tweak it towards video yeah. because that's their next big thing they're going to want to sell properly yeah. that's the big money next so yeah. just like they did with all social stuff organic on the thing they want you to get in the habit of using yeah. is great and then it's going to hurt like when So it's, it's probably me. just that
1: video is peaking at the moment because as you say they really want to push it and then you know you wouldn't be surprised if in a year's time you know it comes much further down and it's it's more in line with everything else
0: Tuesday, the 17th of February. Tom Foremsky steps up to the plate with another bold set of words. So this is all about that definition of public relations.
1: Public relations is tricky because it started off as something very specific. Media relations then totally consumed the vast majority of what PR meant. Mm -hmm. And so now where we're at the point where now media relations is shrinking in importance and effectiveness, there's kind of this need to reclaim PR and, and you know, reinvent it as something else or not, or just let it die and, you know, and, and move on, which is actually a lot of the time what I kind of wish we would all do. But one of the things I kind of agree with Tom in this piece is where he's talking about, you know, let's just stop trying to spin stuff and let's just say
0: things as they really are. I think the frustrating bit is feeling like every time you talk about a strategy with a client. Almost at the beginning of the conversation, you'd have to define what is PR, then, and it's going to vary in every single room, and I don't really see that coming back into balance again. I think a lot of these issues, okay, what is PR? Whatever all the, all these it. questions are painful if you're a big agency.
1: And this, I, I guess, that's my point, because you know, I see I, you're in a great position
0: because actually,
1: for you, if you if you set it up properly with your clients from day one. It can be anything from business consultancy through to running adverts, through to display, through to SEO, through to whatever you want it to be. The challenge that I face a lot of the time is when you're around a table with the ad agency, the media agency, the the direct agency, the point of sale agency, you know, then everyone's kind of in their silos. And having said that, I still think there's an opportunity because increasingly, I think when we look at the whole creating content that doesn't require six months and a uh, film crew and you know high production values, and actually you want to create bite-sized content that still really resonates with an audience and distribute it effectively, I still think PR. PR agencies, if they play their cards right, are the best places to do
0: that. Well, this is the thing. Why can't you just say, what skills has the culture of media relations fostered in these companies over the last 50 years? And it's things like being able to respond quickly, You know, having to design material that really meets a need or it's not going to be used. It's loads of stuff that's relevant. And if you could say today, modern PR uses so many of those virtues of media relations, to achieve most of what everyone else wants to try and do these days.
1: Yeah,
0: totally. And that's what I always that's, maybe it's media relations that needs clear. Well, I definition always say, today. yeah, I
1: always say, you know, our heritage, when I'm talking about the agency that I work for, you no, know, our heritage is in traditional PR. That's where we've kind of come from. And and I think that does bring with it very certain benefits and things that actually you can bring to a table that maybe other people aren't. And if you're someone that's been running a campaign where you have to craft a story that you're then going to pick up the phone and speak to a journalist at the Telegraph about, and you know that you're going to get the phone slammed down on you if that story is something that actually is pretty crappy and and just a puff piece for your brand, that makes you very quickly know what
0: is a compelling story slash piece of content versus something that isn't. And uh, I wonder if the definition is less important than just drawing some ballparks, so you can allow the definition to have different eras, maybe the era around not just PR, but around all these disciplines is more important to define. Whether you're today you're in PR, digital marketing agency, search marketing agency, content marketing agency, we're in the era of this sort of connected marketing, all yeah. those things, integrated marketing. Yeah. And that is, is, no one would dispute that, we're yeah. all in some way going to be integrated marketers or either not very good at our job or not in a job for very yeah. much longer. So if you were to say the, the eras everyone can kind of agree on and all of us might go into a pitch using what we specialized in, in the previous era to inform how we approach integration, those things feel clear. There were actually some really interesting
1: discussions around some of these areas that I think are very valid for us and for the industry to have and I don't know. We should have an in-house person in here because it'd be really interesting to say to them, you know, what do you, how do you see this? And and the people that I've spoken to about this, they say, look, at the end of the day, if we have a problem, we're looking for somebody to help us with that and give us a solution to that problem. And I think we should all maybe stop worrying too much about how we define ourselves and how we define our industry, and just get on
0: with doing and and seeing where it, seeing where we kind of end up. I think my concerns are don't pretend there's an answer. Yeah. Let your work define you. And we can probably all agree on the eras. This is an era of change. Like, even if you stick to your guns and you say we're a pure media relations agency, you've got to know there's stuff going on around you, even if that's what you've decided. So I
1: think we're just at the stage where everything is just blurring so much that we're all trying to wrestle and keep as much of it as we possibly
0: can. In some ways, also, I think it's a counterpoint to what we were saying earlier with channels giving their authority to the individuals that work for them. In these cases, everything centers around the people each time now rather than the asset at the end of the chain. Mm -hmm. So I think fundamentally, this it's the counterpoint of what we were saying about channels now being driven by influence there. The Mm -hmm. end results of the work we're all doing is also generally driven by some kind of influence in that. I think the role of everyone or more of the people who didn't used to have to chase the influence and could just buy the thing at the end are having to be interested in that influence bit to get to the thing at the end now. Mm -hmm. And the things at the end are multiple and disparate. I I was playing with this thing of uh, graph marketing. So everything we would do, everything we would present to a client, everything we would talk about strategically would be based around A network analysis graph and with nodes including their leads that they've got so Uh this is b2b so it's easier yeah but leads potential leads influences all in one big graph and you show the strength of the connections and ultimately what you're trying to do to in some way or another in the long term is increase the ones that directly click back onto you Mm -hmm. as the central node in that network yeah And it may be that you achieve that by maximizing the links between some of the other ones out there Mm -hmm. or by saying that's a target guy at the end of that link of nodes. And so we know we want to click as many of these people together as possible so they'll click into them. So mapping out your entire influence spread. And you treat it as a cloud of data points. And... Yeah, it's a kind of sciencey datary way of representing something that's actually very old fashioned, which is that if you improve your understanding people's understanding of you and their relationships with each other and things, you reach more people, awareness spreads and you've got to believe that kind of pulls you back, you know, pulls them back to you. There's yeah. gravity to networks in that way. Yeah. So graph marketing, that's my next thing.
1: Well, and the site but and and that just leads into the whole science data piece, which again is so important, and again, it's somewhere where PR is basically
0: being really crap. That's a good point because I know we wanted to talk about Wad's PR stack project. Yes, tell me about PR stack. Step one was Wad's tweeted about it. A bunch of people filled out a Google spreadsheet with every kind of PR tool. And the next stage, so this is like a crowdsource. Crowdsourced. crowd-sourced Description finding out what all the kind of useful tools out there are. Yeah, and this, you could go and find it on Wad's page for now, but the next stage is to say, once you've got that collection of all that data, how do you turn it into something that can solve someone's problem? And especially, how do you turn it into, into something that can solve someone's problem when they don't necessarily know where they should even start with finding those tools? Why not have it just load kind of like Tinder or something? It literally pops you up So is all. this
1: like a front end
0: to allow you end? to find the tool that you actually need to do a certain job? This is it. It's a front end for the database. In a perfect world, it would be like Product Hunt or Reddit, where people can upvote good stuff and downvote bad stuff. It'll be out soon, but conceptually, one of the big design priorities is how do you make it something that anyone at any agency could go to, say, here's a problem... And it spits you out something that you can immediately go and implement and use yeah. in your company. Nice. That sounds interesting. Oh, it's interesting, but also I think what's really important is you have people trying to do proprietary efforts at PR tools, but I don't really believe anything's going to work that isn't something that's more or less open source that any agency can pick up and use because there are just so many people in this market. Yeah, and I think you know I think the thing
1: for me that that's really great about it is that there's such a need in the industry generally for better training and education. And so I think that is a massive issue that I think we have to tackle. We have to tackle as individual agencies, but I think we have to tackle it as an industry. And I think this is what is great about that, is you're, you're suddenly opening potentially opening people's eyes
0: to a lot of stuff that otherwise they might not know about the bit that always strikes me about this industry is you really have to do things that try and reach the people right at the bottom of the industry, the big long tail of PRs. And I, this is another thing I wrote recently actually about, which is to say that there's a strange need for the stakeholders, the other stakeholders around PR agencies to help with the problem. Cause if you look at someone like a, an influencer or a journalist, they are in touch with you know, a multitude of PRs around them. They're a core node at the center of them. So if you could get them to change one thing about what they do that helped the PRs do a better job, then that scales really elegantly. Because if, frankly, if you've got every single journalist even in the country to do something, flick a switch, mm. that just you know, zapped a PR and made them better at their job, the industry would be fixed. Whereas The contrast is you need, at the moment, you rely on like a dozen PRs changing their behaviour for uh, that journalist to see any difference if you are to focus on the media industry. And I think that's true of every kind of influence. Like making that change happen at scale, I don't think can actually happen as a grassroots movement. Mm -hmm. So finding who the nodes are among the long of PR agencies and finding a way to help them transmit something that genuinely changes the long of PR agencies Mm. is... Maybe impossible, Mm -hmm. but probably the only thing I can see being effective in the next 10 years. Yeah. Good. Well, that's your lot for this week. That was the second episode of The Digital Wake with Max Tatton-Brown and Danny Watmo. Thanks for listening. Let us know any questions and we'll see you soon. Yes.